Hey everyone, welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Wife Like Me podcast. Whether you're watching on YouTube, on Facebook, or you're listening on your podcast platform, welcome. I'm Amanda Davison. I'm your host and your friend. And I'm so excited to have a guest with us. It's not often that we have men join our podcast. <laughs> so anytime we do, it's like a, it's like a big deal. You know what I mean? So thank you for joining us. You are a new friend and we are celebrating your book, Reflections for the Grieving Soul, Meditations and Scripture for Finding Hope After Loss. And here's what I want to first say. For anyone who hears this subtitle and thinks, you know, that's probably not for me. I'm not experiencing a loss. I haven't lost my spouse, um, you know, anything like that. This conversation is going to be sobering for us and helpful for us to really, I, I believe, see what the Lord has given us for today and help us appreciate where we are um, and help us grow from there. So Mike Napa, welcome to our community. I'd love for you to just introduce yourself and then we'll get into your book. Uh, what should I say? My name is Mike Napa. I was married to a wonderful woman for 30 years and um, lost her to cancer in 2016. And uh, that's how we ended up here. Yeah. And you have your book out and talk to us about that. You lost your wife to cancer. Amy is her name. And uh, what, what led you to this place where you felt like this isn't okay, that other people need to know something like talk, talk to us about that journey of knowing you needed to write a book. So um, Amy and I were college sweethearts and we, uh, we, uh, I suppose a non-traditional courtship. Uh, we went on a first date in June, on June 8th. And by June 18th, I knew that I couldn't live without her. And so I asked her to marry me 10 days after our first date. Wow. And uh, I don't recommend it, but it worked for us. <laughs> uh, we, we were married three and a half months later. And then, um, we were married for 30 years. Uh, and we would have been married 30 more. Uh, if cancer hadn't gotten in the way. You know, and I always have to clarify, it's not that we were married for 30 years. We were happily married for 30 years. We just uh, got along. We enjoyed each other. And um, I was, in 2015, I was working on a series of novels, uh, suspense novels. And I had, we had decided that when I finished the second of this series, of the three book series, that we were going to celebrate. We we're going to go to Disneyland and just relax and, and enjoy ourselves. And, um, uh, the week before I finished, uh, the novel in, in, uh, early August and I turned it in and we had about a week and Amy had developed this kind of cough. I thought she needed a, a you know, a, um, some medicine or something to, uh, thought maybe it was a bacterial infection, antibiotic. And so I told her in my, uh, loving, kind way, you need to go to the doctor because I don't want you throwing up on me if we get on a roller coaster. <laughs> so, um, she worked it out to, she would go to the doctor, uh, the day before we were supposed to leave for Disneyland, August, we were supposed to leave for Disneyland, August 13th. She, she went to the doctor on August 12th and she said to the doctor, you know, I need to be sure I get this medicine today because I'm leaving tomorrow. 
uh, to go to Disneyland. So uh, the doctor said, well, let's just run some tests. In fact, let's do an ultrasound and see what's going on in there. It sounds like there's some fluid in your lungs. And during the ultrasound, uh, she was joking with the um, technician and she said, you know, look, I got to get everything done today because I'm leaving tomorrow for Disneyland. And the tech laughed and said, oh, don't worry. You know, if there's anything really serious, I wouldn't even let you leave the office. And about five minutes later, the tech said, um, I don't know how to say this, but I can't let you leave the office. Mm. And it turned out that um, cancer had been growing inside her and we were completely unaware. And that was what was causing the fluid in her lungs. And, uh, this is who my wife was. Uh, she didn't cry when they told her she had cancer. Uh, she cried when I told her we had to cancel the trip mm. to Disneyland. She was a huge Disney fan. Mm. The next 13 months, uh, we went through all of the things you're supposed to go through, chemotherapy and all that stuff, ups and downs, hopes, and then hopes dashed. And she finally passed away on September 11th in 2016. What I found was when she passed away, there was about two weeks between uh, her death and the funeral. And in those two weeks, uh, a whole cloud of people came and surrounded themselves, uh, put themselves around me. And they just supported me and loved me and hope held me. And then we had the funeral and about 400 people came and it was a beautiful funeral. And then the next day after the funeral, they all went back to their real lives. They went back to their work and families and, and that was appropriate. That was what was supposed to happen. But for me, that meant uh, I was beginning a new normal alone. I had no idea what to do or how to do it. And um, finally, I went on to... Uh, Facebook, and I said to my friends, look, I'm struggling. What I want now is I want you to send me any scripture that you turn to when you're facing a difficult time. And I'm going to print those out. I'm going to put them on my cards. I'm going to read one every single day for the next 100 days. That's what I'm going to do. Okay. And they did. They sent me wonderful, uh, hopeful scriptures. And Amy had left me some scriptures in her journals. And of course, I had my own favorites. And so I put them all on cards, and I... um started reading one every day. I'd get up in the morning and I'd read the top card and I would read it first thing when I woke up and I'd read it in the middle of the morning when I was crying and I'd read it in the midday and then I'd read it again in the afternoon. I'd read any time I felt like I needed. So I read it eight, ten times a day, every day. And then the next day I would go to the next card and the next card. And what I realized about nine months later was that I was still reading the cards and I was only supposed to do that for 100 days. Mm. And um, In fact, I still have the cards. Uh, I still keep them next to me. And I don't read them every day now, but I read them probably a few times a week. Uh, same scriptures, but I found hope and strength in them. Mm -hmm. So the original question was, why this book? How did I get to this book? After the, sorry. No, don't be. You give me telling stories, I don't stop. So anyway, mm -hmm. I um, the hospice that uh, managed Amy's care, care, uh, during the last days of her life, they strongly recommended that anyone who lost a loved one go to a five-week grief support group. And so, I, I, you know, I didn't know what else to do. I went to the group. And I remember I was sitting in this group a few months after Amy died. And uh, we're all there because we've lost someone. We're all there because we have a tragic story to tell. And I'm sitting there in the circle and listening to tragic story after tragic story after tragic story. And I just am praying. And I said, Lord, uh, you know, someone needs to help these people. Someone needs to do something uh, to help people like me and like everyone in this room. And I felt um, like I felt the Lord speak into my heart. And all he said was, you're somebody. 
<laughs> and I'm going to be honest, Amanda, I laughed in his face. Yeah. Uh, I just like, yeah, forget that. That's even, that's just the most stupid thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and so I, um, I mean, God, and I, we get along. We're pretty intimate about things. I, I don't, we speak clearly to each <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so I just kept working through uh, these scriptures that were on my cards. And I started writing some reflections just for myself, some prayers and thoughts and things. And then uh, several months later, still in that first year after Amy died, I was at church one day. One of the associate pastors ran up to me and said, Mike, Mike, I want you to meet this guy. I don't even remember his name. He said, he's going with what you went through. He's, his wife is dying. You guys should talk. And I'm like, what, are we supposed to start a club or something? Our guys whose wives have died? <laughs> I, didn't, I had no idea what to say to him. And so I stumbled through just trying to encourage him. And finally, I just said, look, it's going to hurt. And it's going to hurt for a long time. So I wish I could tell you something better. Mm. And he nodded like, yeah, I knew that already. And he walked away and I was praying and I said, Lord, you know, somebody needs to do something to help this guy, to help people like me. And uh, I felt the Lord speak to my heart, just those two words again, you're somebody. Mm -hmm. I, was, I didn't laugh that time, but I wasn't pretty, I wasn't very excited about it. And so um, finally I went home and I said, well, I'm going to just be obedient, even if it's stupid. And I um, took my scriptures and I, I curated them down to 100 of my favorites. And I took about 40 of my thoughts and prayers and, and reflections and I put them all together into a manuscript. Um, and after I was done, uh, this was about about one year after Amy died, not maybe not quite a year. It was still within that first year. And uh, I looked at it and I thought, well, I think this might be helpful for people who've lost something. But publishing is a cruel business. It's hurtful and it's uh, painful. And I just didn't want to deal with it. I didn't want to deal with uh, all that, the business aspect of getting a book out. So I, I closed the file and I put it up in my, you know, someday folder. And honestly, Amanda, I forgot about it uh, five years. And then finally in 2022, last year, uh, a friend of mine, Neil, passed away. And I was watching his wife and his daughters and they were just in such sorrow. And I, you, you know, you'd think I'd figure this out, right? You'd think I would... I would understand what to pray and what not to pray, but I was stupid. And I said, Lord, um, somebody needs to do something to help these girls. Uh, somebody needs to do something to help people like me. And sure enough, uh, the only response I got was, you're somebody. Yeah. <laughs> so this time I pulled it out of uh, storage, out of cold storage. I looked at it again and I thought, maybe this will be helpful. Uh, maybe it will be something that would be helpful to people. And so I swallowed my pain and pride and, and started pursuing publication. And Zondervan was kind enough to um, pick up the book. And so that's how we got to where we are today with Reflections for the Grieving Soul. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, you know, it's, it is true. I think so many of us, who doesn't know someone who has lost, lost someone they know and love, right? This book is not only for someone who's lost a spouse, it's for anyone grieving. And so, and yet there's so much depth in your perspective, your, what you've, what you've had to walk through and endure 
speaking into someone who has who is specifically in that situation as well talk to us were you because one of the things um i want to talk to i want to get to the question of grief is not there, there's different kinds of grief so right so i want to talk about that but first talk to us about you know being angry with god what does yeah. that look like <laughs> for you what's your perspective on that um you know the first time someone asked me about that they said well why aren't you angry at god i mean he, he allowed amy to die um it surprised me because it had never actually occurred to me to be angry uh, at god over death which happens every day um if i had expected uh, to either Amy or I to live forever, that would have been a different situation. But even our marriage vows said, you know, we will be together until death do you part. So we expected that one of us was going to die before the other. Death is one of those things. Um, it's a consequence of sin. And it's something that we can't escape. We, we, are all, we all will face this. Uh, a side note to that is when you feel this deep grief over the death of someone, I think we should let that remind us the tragedy of sin mm -hmm. uh, and the, the the damage that sin not only did in, in the Garden of Eden, but also continues to do. And when we find ourselves faced with some new temptation to sin, I think we can let our grief remind us of that tragedy and we don't have to contribute to that ongoing tragedy by choosing to sin. But that's a different thing. Anyway, uh, I was looking, I, I didn't know how to answer the person when they first asked me that uh, because it never occurred to me to be angry. Um, but I understand that people do get angry, that there's loss and that you feel the, the pain and you need to lash out. But for me, in this time when I was feeling the intensity of grief, the only solace that I found, the only comfort I found was in 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 the presence of Christ, in the presence of Jesus. And so I would go to him constantly and, and pour myself out and shout and cry and do all the things I needed to do. And what I found was that he was always there. He did not take the pain away, but he was always near. I, I remember the day after Amy died, I came home to my empty house and I walked into each room. And I walked in and out of each in the closets. And I even walked in, I stood in the bathroom for a while. And when I was done, I went to every single room in the house. When I was done, I said, "Lord, here's the deal. I I can sense your presence in every in every space in this building. Why aren't you comforting me? I'm so used to you comforting me. Why aren't you comforting me?" And he didn't answer with comfort, uh, but he answered with nearness. And I came to rely on that nearness. And so, uh, when people ask me, "Why aren't you angry at God?" I have to say, you know, why would I push away the only person who's uh, bringing nearness and comfort, who is steadfastly um, refusing to leave me in my pain. Why would I push that away? Uh, that's kind of like punching the lifeguard who swam out to save you. So I think that uh, for me, and I can only speak from my own experience, I can't speak for anybody else, but for me, uh, in the end, I needed him more than I needed to be angry at him. And so um, I really clung to his presence instead of clinging to anger. Wow. That's good. <laughs> Is it? It's normal, I think. Well, I, it's not. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I don't, you know, again, I like how you said 
not, you know, anger isn't necessarily bad and we all experience grief different. And I mean, I, I taught psychology classes for years and, and that's part of the grieving. Anger is part of the grieving process, right? For many. And I love your story though. And for you, you did not experience that. And, and yet maybe perhaps, maybe you did. I mean, I mean, I heard you say I lashed out at, you know, I lashed out. I, 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 I came near to him and I was authentic with, before him. Right. So not, maybe you weren't lashing out angry at God, but you were, you know, it's almost like I'm, you maybe were gr- angry at the situation, at, at the, at the pain of it, at the, the, the reality of what was in front of you, you know, and what you were going to have to endure and walk through and all that. But I, so I love that. I think we use, I'm just like processing what you're saying. And I think it's, <laughs> it's really easy for us to, to go to this place of maybe even expecting people might be angry with God in that situation, but perhaps it's more of experience and experiencing a type of anger, not necessarily directed toward God. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, I'm angry at cancer. I hate cancer. Yeah. Yeah. Cancer was standing on the street. I kick it right in the privates. Yep. Yep. Um, So, I mean, but to place blame on God for um, death seems, it just seems uh, unwarranted. Yeah. And I love, I love what you said. I wrote that. I wrote it down a few different ways. You said it. Uh, we can let our grief remind us of the tragedy of sin. And so, yeah, it's funny, right? Because we're Christians. We follow Jesus. We know truth. We know his word. We know <laughs> it's not a surprise that like, oh, yes, we're not going to live forever here on earth. <laughs> you know what I mean? But if you're married, one of you is going to die first. Yeah. It's just gonna yeah. And yet it's like such a shock. <laughs> so, so it's like we live in this world where it's really nice to not think that it's actually going to happen, you know, but it's like, but it, you know, it's so, it's really fun, fascinating to me. Like, as I'm thinking about this, because then we're so, wait, what, you know? Um, and of course, of course it looks different and it absolutely can be so unexpected. And, and so I'm not like downplaying that, but it is really when you sit back and think about it, 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 I just love your perspective, and it's it's a beautiful yeah. one. Well, we have to remember too that what this teaches us is that every moment matters. Yeah. Every every moment matters. Um, there was a point. Uh, there was about during Amy's illness. There was about three days when she slipped into delirium. It was actually on our 29th anniversary that weekend, and um, she was kind and loving but she just she couldn't distinguish reality from from dreaming and um, she didn't recognize me and uh, there was one point where I said to her I was trying to see if I could get her to come back to uh, understanding and I said to her well are you married and she said yes and I said well, who's your husband and she said Mike Napa and just kind of off the cuff I said well does he love you and instantly she said yes very much. And I thought this, this, even when she doesn't know I'm her husband standing before her, she knows that I still love her. And that came out of 30 years of every morning uh, when she'd wake up, I would, I would tell her I loved her. Yeah. And then uh, 
every night before she went to bed, I would tell her I loved her. And then half a dozen times during the day, I would tell her I loved her if we were talking on the phone or if we we're texting or emailing or whatever. Uh, I just kept repeating and repeating and repeating. I didn't just say it, of course, I also lived it. But um, I made that such a, a normal part of our life. And she did the same for me. I mean, she told me the same constantly as well. That when the moment came where she couldn't recognize me, she could still recognize that I loved her. Mm. Because every moment matters. There was a, there was a, a well, that's probably enough. Every moment matters. Yeah. So we just need to be be aware of that. And we need to be aware that these cross moments when we feel like we're just going to snap at our spouse or, or, or be unkind just because we want to be unkind, um, that matters. Mm. It's something that that will will come out in the end. Literally. <laughs> yeah. I think it's important to hear that. Uh, because only someone who's walked through your type of situation can actually speak into that for us who still have our spouse right next to us, right in front of us, right? Um, so thank you for that. It's very sobering. It should be, right? Um, well, it just means that you can take advantage of the joy set before you. There is joy there. Go ahead and enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I remember, um, I think about five years before Amy got sick, um, I suddenly got this impulse. Amy had a list of things, you know, a bucket list things she wanted to do before she died. Go to this place, do this thing, get a passport, stamp her passport, that kind of stuff. And about five years before she died, I just thought, you know what? If I don't do something, she's never going to accomplish these. So I'm just going to make sure that everything on her list gets accomplished. And so I started checking things off her list. I sent her on a trip to Costa Rica because she wanted a trip to uh, uh, stamp in her passport. I, uh, helped arrange for a family reunion. I took her to Disney Disney World for our 25th anniversary. I, you know, I did all the things that, that she said she wanted to do. She wanted to learn how to surf. So I sent her on a trip with her sisters to go learn how to surf in Southern California. And just all these things. And there was one thing that I didn't do, and I, I do regret that. She had wanted to see James Taylor in concert. And he came twice. Twice he came. And both times I was like, oh, it's so far away. It's an outdoor concert. <laughs> we'll do it another time thinking we always had time to do it. That, that one I didn't accomplish. Hmm. But he did uh, He did send her a, a video, an encouraging video when she was sick, to, wow. just a private thing from him to her, which was kind of cool. Wow. When we got to the end, and, we, and, and it was clear that she was going to die, people started asking, you know, is there anything that you want to do, anything that we can help, that we can do for you to accomplish, you know, your like make a wish kind of thing? And she would just say, No. I've done everything I wanted to do. Everything on my list has been done. Um, and I think that's important. I think that um, if we just postpone making dreams come true for our spouse, we run the risk of a lot of regret at the end by saying, oh, well, I wish I'd done this for her. I wish I'd done that for her. Uh, so I have no regrets uh, about anything that she wanted to do in her life because we did it. We, we took the time and we did the things that were on her list. And sometimes we tried and failed, but at least we tried. Mm-hmm. And so we come back to the whole thing of every moment matters. Uh, if this is a lifetime that you have, that's not very long. So take advantage of the joy. You've got this joy set before you. Take advantage of it. Let's just enjoy it. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. What was surprising to you about grief? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, I'm going to start by telling the story because that's, I just do that. That's all right. I went to, uh, it was probably a year, maybe two years after Amy passed away. I went to my son's house to have dinner with his family. And he's got two beautiful children. And they invited me over to dinner. And I went over there and I just stopped in front of their house in my truck. And I just I had to take a moment and cry because I was thinking about Amy and I was missing her. And I thought she would just love being here tonight with her family. That's really all she really loved was her family. That's what she loved the most. She would just love spending time with these children and these kids and, and our son and his wife. And it just, I felt sorrow that she was not there to experience it. Now, realistically, uh, the experience that she's having right now in eternity is so much better. So I didn't have a reason to cry for her, but I was crying for me because I loved being with her when she was happy. Yeah. And so I finally dried my eyes and I went inside and I felt this deep heaviness. And my granddaughter's there and she's at the time was little preschool beauty. Her eyes are just exactly the same as Amy's, these beautiful emerald green eyes. And I look at her eyes and I can't see anything but Amy. Anyway, they're making dinner in the kitchen. And my granddaughter, Genevieve, and I, we're playing Jenga in the living room. And of course, eventually the tower falls and she just erupts with peals of laughter. And I'm looking at her and I'm looking at these beautiful eyes. And I felt this intense sorrow that Amy was not there. And then I also felt this pure delight at the sound of her laughter. And I had to stop at myself and I thought, Lord, what's going on right now? Because right now I feel this intense sorrow and this uh, irrepressible joy in the same moment, in the same person, in the same situation. What's, how is that even possible? Uh, afterward, I thought, well, I need to figure that out because that was new. And I, so I went to scripture and I started to look into scripture about it. And I found the night before Jesus, uh, night before his crucifixion, He's speaking to his disciples, and he says to them uh, at the end of the Last Supper, he says, I'm telling you these things so that my joy may be in you. So he is here experiencing joy, and then less than an hour later, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's praying, and he says to his disciples, my soul is crushed with grief. And I'm like, wait a minute. Christ in this moment is modeling what I experienced a few days ago. Joy and sorrow mixed together in the same person. So this is what surprised me, Amanda, about grief. <clears throat> because grief is a long-lasting thing. Grief is like a chronic illness. You just, you can't, uh, you can't escape this grief. <clears throat> you will get to the point where the intensity of it is not as strong. You will return to your life and to your relationships and your family and your job and all this stuff. But you're always going to feel grief. Grief is an expression of love. And so, if you love, if love is forever, it's foolish to assume that grief is going to disappear because your love's not going to disappear. Yeah. Well, um, but in the midst of grief, there is also joy. You can, those two mixed together, make this fine, unique kind of wine that other people can't experience because they haven't lost yet. But you can, if you have had loss, you can begin to understand why Jesus can say uh, he is a man of sorrows, and yet the fruit of his spirit is joy. Uh, grieving does not mean you're, never have, you're not allowed to have joy, and joy does not mean you've given up on grief. Uh, so this is what surprised me, was that joy and grief uh, can mix together and live comfortably, even healthily, in the same soul and the same person. Mm -hmm. On that note, 
Is there an unhealthy way to grieve? I think that, um, you know, when people, uh, when people ask me about this book, Reflections for the Grieving Soul, they say, well, is it like, you know, seven steps to getting over grief or, you know, 29 days to eliminating grief from your life? And uh, my answer is always no, absolutely not. I, I don't expect anybody to get over grief. This book is all about helping people to grieve well. Uh, so that means that there are ways to grieve that are unwell. If you're grieving in ways that are hurtful, to yourself or to others, if you're grieving in ways that are bitter, uh, bitterness is a root that poisons only itself. Uh, if you're grieving in ways that are inauthentic, uh, that are not honest, if you're simply trying to cover it up and and push it down and move on, all of these types of grieving are things that are going to be unhealthy for you, not only for your soul, but also for your, they will be unhealthy for your spiritual mm-hmm. well-being and your physical well-being. So what I try to encourage people to do with this book is to say, we're, we're going to grieve uh, we're going to grieve well. When I, about three years after Amy died, I went to the doctor for an annual physical. You know, they ask you now these questions, are always, they have to ask you the questions about your emotional health, blah, blah, blah. And at one point I said to her, you know, I still feel sad about losing my wife to cancer. And she said, well, when was that? And I said, mm, three years ago. And she scoffed. And she said, well, you just need to get electroshock, th- electroshock therapy on your brain. Uh, that'll knock that right out. And I was like, what? You want me to have brain damage in order to avoid grief? I didn't say that out loud, but that's what I was thinking. Um, I, of course, politely declined the invitation for electroshock therapy on my brain. But that's the attitude that we have, is that we have to we have to eliminate grief. We have to push it aside. We can't experience that kind of sorrow and live every day. And that's just not true. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think when we talk about grieving well, then, grieving well is, first of all, not shortcutting uh, the grieving process. Um, we need to stop trying to escape that, which is painful, but is also normal. And which is actually good for you. If you grieve well, you will end up being a healthier, uh, more whole person. Amy used to tell me um, when she was dying, she would say, Mike, if you're going to get through this, you're going to have to go through it. And she's right. Uh, you can't just shortcut the grieving process and assume that you can get over it because you're tougher or smarter or prettier than anybody else. So if you're going to get through it, you're going to have to really just buckle down and go through it. If you want to grieve well, you're going to have to grieve honestly. You have to grieve authentically. You're going to have to say what you feel and, and not be ashamed uh, of that kind of stuff. Taking all the time you want uh, and grieving without limits. And then uh, I think this is really most important to grieve well. You need to take all of that and just dump it on Jesus. Uh, just to go to him frequently, constantly saying, this is what's happening. This is what I'm feeling. What are you going to do? How are we going to get through this? I find that he is, um, he is not frightened by sorrow. He is not uh, offended uh, when I tell him how I feel, even when I use the bad words uh, that you're not supposed to, to use. And then just finally, you really need to accept that um, grief is going to last a while. You're just going to feel it. Uh, there will never be a time when you don't feel it. My grandmother lost four brothers uh, to war um, in the aftermath of World War One, And... 60 years later, when I would ask her about it, she would still tear up. And she, she had a hard time talking about it. And she would just say to me, well, Mikey, that's what everybody really calls me. Mikey, um, you lost some great uncles. You lost them to war. But 60 years later, she still felt that loss. And I think that's okay. I think we need to remind ourselves this is not a problem. When we look in Scripture, we see the first time that grief is mentioned 
is um, Genesis 6. Uh, the world is wicked and God's about to send a flood. And, and Scripture tells us that God the Father, Yahweh, he grieved in his heart uh, over, the con- over the situation of man. If we fast forward into the New Testament, we find Jesus again uh, at the night before his crucifixion telling his disciples his soul is crushed with grief. And so God the Son now is experiencing grief. We move into Ephesians, the Paul letters, and we find um, we find Paul saying, please don't grieve the Holy Spirit, which tells us the Holy Spirit can be grieved, the third person in the Trinity. So when I think about grief, I think about this concept that God himself grieves in the entirety of his being in all three persons of the Trinity. And for him, and this is an eternal thing. He doesn't grieve momentarily and then move on. This is something that he experiences all the time. And so when we grieve, we're actually imitating God who grieves over the devastation of sin. Okay. I think it's okay then for us to have this temporary grief, this time on this earth when we feel sorrow. We are like, well, the way I compare it to is we're like the man who goes or the woman who goes to war and is injured, wounded in war and comes back with a limp. She'll get back to job. She'll get back to work. But she's always going to limp. And to tell her, well, you just need to choose not to limp. Uh, you just need to get over that and stop limping. You're embarrassing yourself. That's just not true. And it's not healthy. And it's not real. So um, this book then is saying, you know what? You need to grieve. So let's do it together. Yeah. Let's walk through this and let's realize, hey, you're never going to get over it. And that's okay. Mm. You can still live a happy, joyful, satisfying life, even though you have the scar left over in your soul from grief. Mm. How about different types of grief? How, you know, uh, the, the death of the loss of a loved one versus other types of grief? Because, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah let's, let's hear what you got to say about that. <laughs> well, grief, like I said before, grief is an out, outcome of love. So anything that you love, you will grieve. Um, you will grieve the loss of a marriage. Uh, you will grieve the loss of a job or a, a relationship. You'll grieve a pet. Uh, you'll grieve the, the limitations of health or e- even a cherished memento that you might lose. I remember I had, um, I had an i, what was it? Not an iPad, an iPod. Just a little, it was a little iPod that Amy, that was Amy's and it had her music mixes on it and it had some movies that she had downloaded on it. And at one point, it just stopped working. And so I took it to the Apple store and I said, you know, I, I just need to get this fixed, it was, you know, because I wanted to keep that which had been important to her. Well, Apple, in its um, generosity, took, my, uh, took Amy's iPod and sent me a brand new one as a replacement, which from their perspective was great because it restored entire functionality to an iPod and I could use it. But they didn't understand that that was something precious to me because it had been Amy's. And so I grieved the loss of that little mechanical instrument. You grieve anything that you love. Now, the intensity of grief will, um, will be managed according to the intensity of the love. And so some things, for instance, uh, I grieved the loss of that little iPod, but, uh, you know, only for a day or two. And then I got over it. Uh, I grieved the loss of a pet, a cherished pet that I had. That, that was a while, and I continued to grieve Amy. So I know that people experience grief differently, the way it, it affects them differently, and the way they express it is all different. Um, but I think we all experience grief as the same thing. 
we all have loved and lost, and the feeling that we feel for that is grief. The expression of that, the experience of that uh, may be different, um, but we grieve deeply because we have loved deeply. And so if there's anything you love, you better be ready to grieve and you might as well grieve well instead of uh, poorly, unhealthily. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, I'm, it's just, you're killing me with these wows. I don't think I'm saying anything spectacular. This is just normal. No, 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 because we don't talk about grief, I think. Yeah, we do like to shut it off and put it away. Yeah, and, and yeah, I've, you know, I've, I've been talking about this for a bit, um, but, you know, we, I have been in a grieving season and I thought it would end a long time ago. And <laughs> so, nope. shocker. And, no. But it's so true. Like, I, I don't think anyone has ever legit said to me straight up. I have all these notes. So I'm trying to find exactly where you wrote it. But <laughs> if you love something, you better be ready to grieve it. Like, you're going to yeah. grieve anything you love. And so, like, I'm, I'm like running through my mind on all the things that I love and that are gonna, because, because like the ending of, of something, the ch- a chapter closing on something, right. You know, you love a, a friendship that's changed. Mm-hmm. You grieve that it's, it hasn't even ended. It's just changed. You'll grieve that you, you love the church that you've been attending and that looks different now. There's grieving. You have to move. Maybe yeah. you move from the city to a farm in Minnesota. Yes. And you love the farm in Minnesota, yes. but you still miss the place where you were. You will grieve that. Yeah. yeah. So like all these different, even just changes, we can grieve because we love what something looked like at one time. Or we even seasons, my husband farms. So different seasons, I grieve. Like I love winter. And that because he's home, because he's home. So then I have to grieve that, the loss of that season, because I love having him here. You know what I mean? So all these things are like coming to my mind that we grieve, but also I think I don't, I, maybe I'm just the older I'm getting, the more I'm recognizing that I, there's a need to grieve that I have. And so maybe in the past, I just didn't do it or I didn't allow myself to walk through it or, or I shoved it down or I don't know, but I'm allow, I'm trying to honor the grieving process in my life so that I hopefully can stay healthy. <laughs> Let's hope, yeah. you know, because there yeah, are yeah. quite a few benefits from grief. I mean, grief is not something that God accidentally created, right? Yeah. This is not something that was, oh, well. Whoops, yeah. this is leftovers. You got to take it. This is actually something that um, can be healthy for you. And if we can grieve well, uh, we, can, we can become healthier, better people because of it. We will, there are benefits to grief. I actually wrote an article about this. Um, 10 benefits, what is it? 10 unexpected benefits to grieving well. It's on, just search for that and you'll find it online. Um, but there are specific things that God brings out in the soul. Uh, if we allow ourselves to grieve in, in open, honest, authentic ways, so you have to you have to grieve. Mm. If you don't, you're you're limiting your growth potential. You're limiting who you can be and who God is making you to be. So yeah. it's not fun. I can't tell you that I enjoy grieving. That I loved losing my wife so I could learn more about grief. That's crap. 
Um, I hated losing my wife. I still hate losing my wife, but I have seen um, that God, God is not overcome by my grief. He is not overwhelmed by my sorrow. Uh, and he is actually using it to turn uh, into turn me into someone who maybe just a little bit looks more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Is there anything you want to say to wives, we're a community of wives, um, who have our husbands, you know, um, in front of us perhaps each day? I just, I'd love for you to speak to us who have um, the opportunity to still enjoy our spouse today. Yeah, you know what? Just to have fun. And um, the things that really annoy you today are really not that important. Mm-hmm. You, can, you can find joy. Remember the person that you married, not the person that you wish they were. When I, um, when Amy and I first got married, I grew up in kind of a volatile household in a place where shouting was normal and even some physical abuse was normal. When I married Amy, uh, I found that no matter what happened, her first, her first instinct toward me was kindness. That doesn't mean we didn't have arguments or anything, but her first instinct toward me was always kindness. Uh, and so what that meant, I realized pretty soon was if I wanted to be mean to her, I was going to have to initiate it because she wasn't, she, she wasn't going to start it. She wasn't going to start the fight. Now she may finish the fight, um, but she wasn't going to start it. And before long, just uh, feeling this experience of constant kindness as a first response made me want to be kind to her as a first response. And then it made me want to initiate kindness toward her. And this is really, I think, uh, helpful in marriage when both the husband and the wife begin to act with kindness as the first intent. That doesn't mean you'll always be kind or you won't always have an argument or whatever. But when you have kindness as the first intent, it's much easier to reciprocate or have kindness reciprocated as the response. When we argued during that first year of our marriage, we decided we were going to, because it's hard, you personalize arguments, right? You want to say, well, you're just stupid or you don't know what you're doing instead of saying, this situation makes me feel this way, right? Um, So we decided that we would, when we were were actually having an argument, we would stop everything and we would sit on the couch and hold hands because it was hard to be mean to someone to whom you're also being affectionate. Mm -hmm. And that really helped us clarify our thinking so that we could disagree without being hurtful. Mm-hmm. So when I'm speaking to a wife or a husband, I, honestly, um, I would say, you know, first of all, just enjoy it. Enjoy the show. You've got a limited amount of time, so you might as well have fun. And then also, if you and your husband can work toward the idea that um, kindness is important, kindness is more important than being right, uh, kindness is more important than getting the chores done, Kindness is more important than making your point. If you can work toward being kind to each other, you'll find kindness is reciprocated. And then that becomes a, another root that grows into a beautiful flower in a marriage. Mm. That's also helpful. Thank you. Um, Mike, 
would you mind um, praying for us? But first, I just want to remind everyone we're talking with Mike Napa um, regarding his book, Reflections for the Grieving Soul, Meditations in Scripture for Finding Hope After Loss. It's linked below per usual. Everything we talk about is so you can find that there. I encourage you to get it for anyone, even if, you know, someone you think in your life, maybe it's, it was years ago, maybe they lost someone or um, maybe it, maybe they're not walking through something hard right now, but maybe grab a couple copies and keep them on hand, send them to someone that the Lord is laying on your heart now. Um, it's just beautiful. So Mike, would you mind praying for the wives watching and listening? You got Oh, Jesus. Um, here's what we know. Right now, there are, there are women who are listening to this podcast. Um, and it sucks for them. Life sucks for some reason. They are grieving the loss of maybe a loved one, maybe a husband or, or a child or parent or a friend. You, of all people, know what that feels like. And so, Lord, our prayer today is that your spirit would just envelop these women, that you would make yourself known. Um, it's not enough for us that you're just everywhere all at once. We need to know that you're right here, right now. And so, Lord, we, uh, we're going to depend on you for that, that you will make yourself known. We ask you to bring comfort. We ask you to bring wisdom. And we ask you to just stand nearby uh, without, without ever letting us think you're gone. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to love. Thank you that we can be lovers. Uh, help us to make it through the fact that love uh, necessarily also brings grief. You are kind. And we appreciate that about you. We ask for your kindness in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Mike. Appreciate your heart and your obedience and sharing. And um, yeah, it was just great to chat with you. I'm sure we will chat again at some point in the future. I just really appreciate, again, your your willingness to share about your experience and Amy and your beautiful marriage. And I... Um, yeah, I just really appreciate taking um, you taking time with us to share. So thank you. Well, I appreciate you taking time as well, and you know, sharing this uh, with your with your listeners. Yeah, and thank you for being with us, everyone. And we will be back next week for an all new episode. Bye, everyone.